This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. So the last few weeks we've been considering this part of uh, Jonah's story. It is a little unusual in the in the books of the prophets because it's not so much being prophetic as it is a story about a disobedient uh, prophet. We learn that Jonah doesn't need an introduction. He's just uh, Jonah. And so that means that he was well known to the people who had, um, were, were hearing this story, were hearing about his life. Um, we reflected on the reality that, uh, that prophets like Jonah speak to the people for God which is in contrast to a priest who speaks to God for people. And Jonah has a prophetic role to be able to share what God is saying to the kingdom. And the irony of Jonah's story, we've learned, is that as we understand who Jonah is in 2 Kings, that, that Jonah very much was for the military conquest of Israel, to extend its borders and boundaries. Uh, but what Jonah failed to access or to share, like Hosea, and Amos was the spiritual struggle of the nation of Israel. And God allowed this nation, the Assyrians, to press in from the north and eventually uh, later on to, uh, to conquer uh, the nation of Israel and to press in toward the southern kingdom, which was Judah and Jerusalem. And we've reflected on the fact that the Assyrians were this really despicable, difficult, terrible people. One, some, one scholar called them a terrorist state. Uh, their, their evil knew no bounds. And God asked Jonah, he said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And so what happened? We know the story that that, uh, Jonah fled. He fled the presence of God, or so we thought. He tried to run. We've reflected on the idea that some people run from God by trying to abandon his laws and his commandments and his statutes and to say, I'm going to make my own way. But other people can run from God by trying to justify themselves by being obedient. If I do these right things, then then God owes me. It's a transactional relationship, not a relationship based on grace, uh, but based on payments. And that's a similar way uh, of running from God. And then last week, we talked about the reality that God hurls the storm at Jonah. Uh, God loves Jonah, and he has a message that he wants Jonah to deliver to the Ninevites, but God has a message that he wants to deliver to Jonah. And so he doesn't allow Jonah to get away. Uh, and even though Jonah is being disobedient, even though Jonah is running from God, God loves him. So he sends a storm, a great storm, into Jonah's life. And so last week, the challenge was for us to remember and to realize that often when we experience difficulty, it can be a way that God is trying to get our attention, for us to live again into his presence and to confess and to acknowledge those ways where we may be disobedient. Of course, there are certain storms that come into life that we have nothing to do with, and the book of Job is a testimony to that kind of reality. But often, we have gotten ourselves into situations because of our disobedience, our failure to respond to God's word in obedience and trust. And so God allows these storms for us to experience, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does, because those storms get our attention And they force us to realize that we are completely dependent upon him. And so, in a way, those storms are a gift. This week, the story of Jonah 
uh, challenges us to think about how we respond to those storms and how our response in the midst of the storm, what it says to the people around us about what we actually believe about God. So if you're able to stand with me for the reading of God's word, I invite you to do so at this time. Jonah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Oh Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now through your holy word, that we would be reminded of your grace, and that we would know of this great story that Jonah the prophet is speaking to us about our lives, and that you desire for us to know you and to follow you and to, and to walk in obedience to your word, where we will experience flourishing and joy and peace in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, I was having a, a conversation uh, with a couple of new parents last Sunday. Uh, we have a number of new uh, parents. We have a very tiny little baby in the room with us right now. And if you remember what it's like being a new parent, you remember just the sleep challenges that are presented to you. Because for whatever reason, uh, babies, when they are born, do not understand eight hours of sleep from 10 to 6 a.m., right? They don't get that. And so they're off schedule. And someone told me that, it's, that when the mom is walking and or moving around during the day, that's very comforting to the baby, so they sleep during the day. But when the mom uh, sleeps at night, that's when they wake up, right? And so when they're born, they're just off schedule. And so if you have had children or if you've been around children, little babies, you know, they, uh, they, just, they don't get on your schedule. People say, you know, oh, he's sleeping like a baby. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, every three hours he wakes up. And crying, is that what you mean? So sleeping, having a child, it's, just, it's really difficult. But here's what I've learned now that my children are a little bit older, right? They're uh, teenagers now. There's a different kind of lack of sleep that you get when they get a little bit older because they're going out and doing things with their friends and driving around town. And so then instead of thinking about what's going on in that little crib, are they doing okay? You're thinking about what's going on in this big world in the car. Are they doing okay? And I want to make sure that we're awake when they return, just so that everything's good. So there's a different kind of sleep that, that you lose when they get older. And I don't think that probably ever goes away, really. You're always thinking about your children or those that are important to you and thinking about what does this sleep look like? How do we get some sleep? Well, in the scene today, Jonah is fast asleep. The word means a deep sleep. Like when the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, when Adam pulled out a rib of his side. It's not just a nap to kind of get you going. It's not even that evening rest where you lay down. It's the kind of sleep you get to in the very middle of the night, that kind that's really hard to wake you up from. It's that, that kind of sleep that's, that really is just challenging to bring someone out of. And it feels like we have that on Monday mornings at our house around, around 6.30 Get up, it's time to go to school, it's, it's Monday. 
But how is it possible for Jonah to sleep in this way, considering what's going on in his life? How does he sleep this way? I mean, he's, in the, he's on a boat, a ship in the middle of a sea, and there's a storm that's approximately 60 miles in circumference, is what we said, because it was a great storm, which is the same word great that is used to describe the city of Nineveh. So if it's the same size as the city of Nineveh, that's how big of a storm this was. I compared it to like a mini hurricane. Those kinds of storms were uh, prevalent or could occur in that region. How is it that he's sleeping on a ship when this storm is going on? It's a storm that's been hurled by God. It's a storm designed to get Jonah's attention, and yet he's sleeping in the inner part of the boat in a deep, deep sleep. Well, if you've ever been to Disney World, you know what this sleep is like. It's about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You've been walking all day long. It's hot. You've been eating bad food. You've been riding on rides. Your legs are worn out. You know that if you sit down, you won't get up again. The afternoon thunderstorms have just poured down, so you're basically wet from the rain and then from the humidity. It is oppressive, and you're exhausted. And you look around in these strollers, and there are these little kids asleep. You know, those rental ones that you get that are like a big piece of plastic, they're just little kids just lolled out. Their, their tongue is sticking out. There's one leg flying off the end, and they are totally out. It doesn't matter that Disney World is literally all around them, noise and food and fun and games and characters. They are totally passed out. That's the kind of sleep that Jonah is experiencing. He is totally out that feeling that you get when you're just wiped out, exhausted. All of the stress and of the difficulty of pushing through life has finally caught up and you just lay down and you can't wake up. 19th century Scottish minister Hugh Martin says that Jonah was sleeping the sleep of sorrow. We know what this is like. This this desire sometimes just escape reality and just sleep, just to lay in bed, even for a little while. Jonah was profoundly spent and exhausted, drained by powerful emotions of anger, guilt, anxiety, and grief. And we think about how much effort he put into running away from God. He's now completely exhausted. And so he's enabled to sleep in the midst of the storm. But the captain is having none of it. The captain and the sailors are well aware of the tragedy, of the difficulty, of the moment around them. What what are they doing? The captain goes down to him and he asks this question. He says, what do you mean, you sleeper? The sailors and the captain, they're fighting for their lives. It, It says in the text that they were afraid. And we think about this, if you're a sailor and you're a captain of a ship, how many times have you been out to sea and a storm has come up? Probably quite often. It's not like that these guys hadn't experienced difficult weather in a ship. But they're afraid, the text tells us. So this must be a significant tempest, a powerful storm to make the captain and the sailor afraid. You can understand how a a landlubber would be afraid out on the boat, clutching his or her life jacket. 
But these sailors were now afraid, realizing that, that their life was at stake. They're casting off everything of value. Their, their life's work or their payment for wherever it was that they were going, the things that were most important to them, they're getting rid of because they realize that the only thing that they can do is to get rid of this important, valuable cargo so that they can survive. And now they've done everything. They've done everything that they can do. It's so bad that they've hurled, the same word as how God hurled a storm, they've hurled everything off their ship. And they've also then called out to their gods. But we notice in the text that it says they call out to their gods. It's a lowercase g. And all throughout Jonah, when the Lord is doing something, he's referred to as the Lord. That's the covenant name for Yahweh, the divine name. But when these sailors are calling out, they're calling out to their God. Well, we know by that, uh, by that uh, language that they don't know the Lord. They don't know the covenant God of the Bible. They don't understand who that God is. But they're crying out to their gods. So this tells us that these men who are on this ship with Jonah, who are desperate to survive, don't know the Lord. And here is one. Jonah, who is a prophet of the Lord, who is known by his faith and his commitment to be a mouthpiece for the Lord, is with them. And right now, during their greatest struggle that they've ever experienced in life, this prophet is not calling out to his Lord, who he believes and knows controls all of the entire universe. He controls all the seas, controls everything. Instead of calling out to the Lord and pointing these men to the one who can actually do something about it, he's asleep. He's asleep. Somehow, these pagan men whose lives are lived at sea traveling from one place to the next, are spiritually attuned enough to know that this storm isn't just a physical reality. They also can sense that there's a spiritual component to this storm that has been sent upon them. They can tell it's just more than some wind and rain. It's a spiritual tempest, and so they're crying out to their God. And surprisingly, the one who actually knows the Lord who commands the seas, who actually created the sea, isn't crying out to his Lord, but he's fleeing that God and sleeping in the inner part of the ship, desperately trying to avoid this God. And listen to what the captain says to, uh, to Jonah. He says, Arise, arise, you sleeper. Arise, you Sleeper, call out to your God. What was it that the Lord said to Jonah when he gave him his commission? Arise, go to Nineveh. It's the same word. And what's fascinating to me is that here, Jonah is trying to escape the presence of the Lord in this boat on his way to Tarshish. And yet God continues to put people in his life that he can minister to and witness to even in the midst of the storm. The captain says, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The Lord says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. 
Do you think God wants Jonah to know that he can't flee from his presence? Do you think God wants Jonah to know that the Lord is not done with him yet? The captain says, call out to your God. Perhaps he will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It's striking to me that the pagan men who are far from God are more desperate to hear from the Lord than Jonah himself. The one who is best equipped to tell them has fallen asleep on the job. They know that they're dying. They know that their lives are at stake. And yet the only one who really knows the Lord is fast asleep. Uh, Tim Keller in his book, Rediscovering Jonah, notes this in his book. He says, this is one of the carefully laid out contrasts between the despised pagan sailors and the morally respectable prophet of Israel. While Jonah is out of touch with his peril, the sailors are extremely alert. While Jonah is thoroughly absorbed by his own problems, they are seeking the common good of everyone on the boat. They pray each to their own God, but Jonah does not pray to his. They're also spiritually aware enough to sense this is not just a random storm. They are still enough to conclude that the tempest of divine origin is possibly a response to someone's grave sin. Finally, they're not narrow and bigoted. They're openly calling on Jonah's God. In fact, they're more ready to do this than he is. The irony is that the people who Jonah didn't want to share the good news with are now asking him to pray to his God. So what does this say to us? What we're seeing is a depiction of the reality that the pagan world around us sometimes has more faith than even the believers among us. While they do not have enough to have saving faith, that is, they don't have an understanding of the Word of God, that Jesus is the Christ and the good news of the gospel, that he went to the cross and he rose and conquered sin and death, they can see, like us, that the world around them is broken. They can see that that unless something intervenes or someone intervenes in this tempest that we live in, we are without hope. They can sense that there's nothing they can do to solve the problem without an understanding of this God, the God that we know about who has been revealed to us through Scripture. And without this understanding, they can't ever really know this God. But instead of waking up in obedience and walking in obedience to the Lord, God's people often are asleep. Instead of speaking up about the hope that is ours through the gospel, we remain silent. Instead of understanding that we're actually all in the same storm together, we don't point to the one who gives us our hope. You see, we who know the God of the Bible, we have not only salvation at our fingertips, we have this understanding that through Christ and his sacrifice that he's invited us into relationship with the self that will participate in this beautiful meal, the sacrament, that we have a relationship with God and we'll be with God in eternity. But we also have a way to understand the world around us. We shouldn't be surprised that our culture is twisting and turning against itself because it's walked away from God. We shouldn't be surprised that the solution that the world offers are not real solutions, and we shouldn't be surprised when people pursue solutions that aren't biblical. Instead, we know that when an individual rejects God and lives in brokenness, 
instead of being judgmental and resistant to them, we should have compassion. When your child disobeys your command uh, not to run on the pool deck and does it anyway and trips and falls and scratches their knee or even scuffs up their chin, the best response is to go up and to say, I told you not to do that. Isn't it? Can't you see the danger of this pool deck, you dummy? Wait, hold on, let me check the notes. No, that's not what you're supposed to say. No, what do you do? You, you, you go up and you scoop them up and you take them in and you say, I'm so sorry that you fell. That's got to hurt so bad. Oh, I'm so sorry. And your tears come down as their tears come down and you, you care for them and you, you bandage them and you encourage them. And maybe, maybe, maybe you say, the next time they're running on the pool deck, please walk. Please walk. You can see it coming. Oh, you can see it coming. And you walk alongside and you say, you know, this is why we don't do this. I'm so sorry that you got hurt. And yet in our culture around us, when we see people misbehaving in whatever way is inappropriate to us, instead of coming alongside and and saying, oh, I'm so sorry. This is such a difficult thing that you're experiencing. And and I'm so wanting to be with you in this. I know it's so hard. We just say, I can't believe you did that, you dummy. Look at how stupid you are for that decision. I would never do anything like that. It's hard not to because we can see it happening. You see the unraveling of culture. or You see your friend who's struggling in relationship and, the, and they ask you for advice, but they just want your approval. And so the challenge is to figure out how in the light of grace and mercy and truth do you get close enough to them to be able to say, I love you so much, but this is not going to end well. Let me enter into this situation with you. Let me walk with you. Or then when they do fall, crash and burn, it's to come alongside and say, I'm so sorry. I love you. Let's walk together through this pain. But how do we as the church, if indeed we know the good news of Jesus, and we live in a broken world that is full of storms, and is full of boats that are sinking, how do we navigate that? You see, there's more to Jonah's ministry than just speaking the truth about God. Right In this moment, he, like uh, the sailors, should be and could be doing every single thing that he can to help them in their situation. Getting up and saying, okay, all right, I'm not a sailor, but let me know whatever I can do. Can I help you load these boxes over the side? Is there there an oar to row? Is there a sail to lift? Let me learn from you how to navigate this moment because I'm not an expert in sailing. But let me say also, I do happen to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And I know that right now we are desperate and we can pray to ask this God to enter in and to, to calm this storm. See, so often there's a resistance for Christians to partner with non-Christians to seek the flourishing of community. There's a sense that that non-believers have nothing to offer if they don't have the gospel. But I've learned that there are many in our community that want to see flourishing happen. They may not believe what we believe about the Bible, 
But we can say we desire that families would be strengthened. We desire to see our community become an educated community, to learn and understand and have the tools to be able to read and apply for a job. We want businesses to flourish and to succeed so that they'll hire people to give jobs and that people will be equipped and ready to go into interviews and get jobs. We know that adds value to all of our community, whether or not the people hiring and firing are believers or not. There are ways that we can partner to bring flourishing into our community. You see, when someone falls down on the pool deck, you scoop them up and you hug them. What if it's a little child, of course? But what if it's a city? What if it's a country? What if it's a group of people? We can say, I told you so, but that just brings down shame and more burden and more hurt. Uh, See, we are failing to remember that our own disobedience has led us to disaster, sometimes disruption or even defeat. But where our responsibility is in light of what God has said to us is to enter in and to realize that there are a lot of different ships in the storm. And some are sinking and some are driving against that storm and flourishing. And so those in the boats that that are rising and sustaining need to get out and help those who are in the boats that aren't. And see, when we allow the culture around us to critique the church, we can ask ourselves the question, are we really being faithful to go out and to minister and to care for those who have been hurt and harmed? Sometimes by themselves, yes, but to love our world enough. I'll never forget the first time I read the story about a Chinese man who, upon understanding the gospel for the very first time, asked the evangelist from Britain, Have you just heard about the good news? He assumed that the man had heard about Jesus and the gospel and then immediately traveled to China to deliver that gospel proclamation. But the missionary evangelist's heart sank because he realized that for a thousand years, the gospel had been known in that land. And it was only just now that they had come to tell him. Why hadn't his people come earlier to deliver? That was of that which is of most importance. Why, when the storm rages in this world, do we fail to speak about the one who provides the peace in the storm? Why do we shrink back from sinking out? Do we, like Jonah, think our neighbors are not worthy of the mercy of God? Are we too tired from our own schedule that's filled with all of our activities that we have no room for engaging with life, in life with those who are broken? There are many reasons why, and the solution is not to be guilted into evangelism or mission or guilted into speaking up. The solution is a reflection upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's to remember and to realize that that when we were in the midst of the storm, that somehow, through a person, through the circumstances, through the Bible, Jesus revealed himself to us. That there was someone in your life, maybe it was a family member, it was your mom or dad or a grandparent, or there was someone that you worked with that said, hey, let me just tell you about this. I'll never forget one summer when I was uh, in college, I sold books door to door, and I had to take a flight from uh, Florence, South Carolina, back to Tallahassee, and I had to go through Charlotte. And so we were sitting uh, in Charlotte waiting for our plane, and there was a couple of delays. I was always on standby because my dad was a pilot, and so you just hoped to get an empty seat. And I was sitting there with a guy, and the flights had been delayed, and we just got to talk, and he lived in Tallahassee. And he was a real nice guy. We sat next to each other on the plane, and we talked all about all this stuff. And he said, hey, you need a ride you know, to where you live? 
And I was like, yeah, I had all this stuff. I had just sold books, <laughs> some books, door to door all summer. It was a brutal summer. I was tired. I was worn out. I was late getting back to school. And he you need a ride? And I was like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And I'll never forget, he dropped me off the place where I lived. And he said, Matt, I've really enjoyed talking to you. He goes, I just want to share one more thing. I just want to share one more thing. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. He goes, you know, Jesus Christ is the most important person in my life. And he came and he gave me new life. And I just wanted you to know that. And that was it. And I probably said something like, okay, man, cool. <laughs> but I've never forgotten that. It wasn't a big, long spiel about how I could go to heaven or what I would do if I didn't. But he just had the courage to say one short sentence about Jesus and who he was. And that, that stuck with me. And many years later, when I was on my journey toward Jesus, or maybe better yet, when I was on my journey away from Jesus, and he came to get me, I remember that statement. And I thought, man, that was a beautiful thing. It simply is just saying and speaking up in the midst of the storm, as the storm rages, as the boats churn, and as the, the struggles go, not to fall asleep. Because here's the thing, have we fallen asleep as the church? Do we expect a, a, uh, a billboard on the side of the road that is going to turn someone's heart? Or do we expect a, a fancy postcard that comes in the mail that says, come to church? That's going to get people to come in. If only we could get our Facebook page better at Woodland, then the people will be flocking to us. If we could just get our video stream, if we could just get a more handsome pastor, then we would really be cranking. No. It's people like you who learn about Jesus, who remember who Jesus is, who are filled with Jesus because you've spent time with him and you've seen how in the midst of the storms of your life, He's been with you. He's carried you. He's forgiven you. He's loved you. And it's when you encounter someone in a similar struggle that you say, can I just point you, can I introduce you to my friend? He's the one that's gotten me through this. What would it be like if that's what we did? And there's another story in the Bible about some guys on a boat in a storm, right? This is a common theme that Scripture uses to, to give us a picture of the kingdom Right, the disciples are going across the lake and they're striving and straining and there's this big storm that comes up and Jesus comes walking to them in the midst of the storm. Jesus comes walking to them in the midst of the storm. It's in the storm when your friends or your neighbors or your city or our country is in the storm. When we're desperate, they're most open to hearing about Jesus. So is there anybody in your life right now who's going through a storm? When people's lives are a real wreck and a disaster, there's a tendency for us to just kind of, oh, I don't even know what to do with this one, and just kind of drive on by. But that's the moment where people need the grace the most. In the most broken parts of our city, in the most hurting parts of our city, in the hardest places, that's where we need to go. That's where we need to be witnesses to the light. And we don't have to have some big flowery speech or some giant solution to the problems, but it's just to enter in in the name of Jesus, with a word of hope to tell your story. I listened to a guy uh, share this one time, and this challenged me. And he said, uh, if the God of the universe decided to say yes to every single one of your prayers this month, if the God of the universe said yes to every single one of your prayers this month, would the world be changed? 
or would only your world be changed? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.